Our sermon text this evening is uh, the last four verses that we read, the first four verses of chapter 12. And uh, before I get right into it, some of you might be wondering why I cut it off at a semicolon. Um, but different translations uh, punctuate that differently. Some translations have a full stop, so I was following that. I'm not sure which translation is, is correct, uh, but that's, that's what we have here. So we have uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, as our sermon text. And if um, you're used to getting a sermon proposition, this is it. This is what the text teaches us, I think, in a nutshell. Looking to Jesus enables running after Jesus. Looking to Jesus enables running after Jesus. So that's the proposition. People love sports, don't they? People love playing sports and watching sports. Many are willing to spend large amounts of time and money on sports. And whenever an athlete does exceptionally well, like a Usain Bolt or a Lionel Messi or a Michael Jordan, we are inspired by such people. We love watching them perform and we admire their discipline, their determination, their fighting spirit. We are impressed by the control that they have over their, their mind and their body. We put this kind of people in halls of fame. We consider them worthy of being remembered. There is something like that that is found here in this text. Uh, in Hebrews 11, which has sometimes been called the Hall of Faith. The Hall of Faith. So in this chapter, in chapter 11, we have a list of persons who have performed great spiritual feats, who trusted in God when it was not at all easy to trust in God. These people are worthy of being remembered. So the Holy Spirit lists these spiritual athletes and their achievements of faith in order to invigorate us to the same kind of mentality and energy. And we see this clearly in the first verse, first verse of our sermon text. So having listed all these persons in chapter 11, in chapter 12, the writer to the Hebrew says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So here, the Christian life is compared to a race, specifically a long-distance a long race. This is actually one of the Apostle Paul's favorite metaphors. Writing to the Galatians, he says, you were running well, Galatians 5.7. You were running well. So he says this near the beginning of his ministry, and later at the end of his ministry, right before he died as a martyr, Paul tells his protege, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. 2 Timothy 4.7. The Christian life 
is a race. Of course, when the writer to the Hebrews calls it a race, he's not saying that you only win in the Christian life if you finish first, so to speak, by being uh, outstandingly pious or something like that. That's not the point of the illustration. That's not the, the aspect of a race that the writer is focusing on. Rather, he is focusing on the fact that you must finish. You must finish. So the competition is not so much against other people. It's a competition against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The powerful spiritual forces which daily seek to keep us from finishing the race and from, from living our lives out in faith. The original audience of this letter to the Hebrews especially faced a distinct challenge when it came to finishing the race. So these were Jewish Christians. These were ethnic Israelites who, unlike most of their own people, came to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. So that's why this book is called Hebrews. These Hebrew Christians often faced persecution at the hands of their fellow Jews. Many of them came to faith at great cost. They had to lose friends and family, sometimes even jobs and possessions. They were often plagued by doubts about whether or not they came to believe in the wrong Messiah. Which is why so much of this letter, if you're familiar with it, is dedicated to proving from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's the High Priest, that He's the Mediator of the New Covenant, and so on. The writer to the Hebrews wanted to keep them from falling back into their original religious communities and uh, to keep them from abandoning their belief in Jesus. He wanted to keep them in the race all the way to the finish line. But you can imagine how long and arduous this race of the Christian life would have felt for these early Christians. The original Greek term for race here, agona, is in fact where we get our English word agony. The race of the Christian life is this agony. We may find the Christian life agonizing, painful, it may seem like a foolish and shameful endeavor to the world. And like the Hebrew Christians, we may sometimes feel alone in this race, even ostracized or persecuted. But we are told here that we are not alone. We have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. So this includes the people mentioned in Hebrews 11. And it also includes the many, many faithful saints of old, not listed by name there. So after this, this letter was written, there were even many more believers who lived and died, almost 2,000 years worth of them now. They are called a cloud because there, were, there are so many of them, from the well-known theologians to the little-known housewives and servants. These people completed their part of the race in the strength provided by God. By faith, they finished 
their course. So as such, they are witnesses, meaning they bear testimony to the fact that it can be done by God's grace. What is impossible for man is no difficulty for God. God's power to preserve our souls through faith is evident in the lives of countless people, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. So with this in mind, we are told here in verse 1 to press on. Our participation in this race calls for dedication. We are told to lay aside every encumbrance, to get rid of whatever might hinder our progress, whatever might weigh us down. So in the, in the games of ancient Greece, the athletes would go so far as to complete, uh, to compete sorry, in the races without clothing, believing that the clothes would hinder their movement and their speed. So Christians are called to show that same kind of dedication. We are called to put away the things that hinder spiritual growth. We are especially called to rid ourselves of the sin, it says here, the sin which so easily entangles us, sometimes called besetting sins. So there are certain sins in our lives which we are so accustomed to committing, sins which have such a powerful grip on our hearts that we often want to ignore them for the time being. But God commands us here to get rid of these things so that we may free ourselves up to run the race. We are to do so with endurance, he says, which means that we are to persevere in our running. We are never to stop. We are never to give up. We must run to the very end. The Christian life calls for complete dedication, complete dedication. Now, the writer to the Hebrews understands that this is not an easy task by any stretch of the imagination. By pointing us to the hall of faith, he has shown us that it is possible. But even for those people that we saw in Hebrews 11, it was not easy, as you know. So how then are we to run this race? Where will we find the strength to be faithful to the very end. So this is answered in verses 2 and 3. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So unlike the great physical athletes in the world, the Hall of Famers, we do not find strength in ourselves to run this race of faith. And even though we must exert our willpower, we do not depend on our willpower. If we did, we would certainly not finish this race. The only way to finish the race to run to the very end, it, teach, it teaches us here, is to look, to look, fixing our eyes on Jesus. 
which means thinking of Christ, meditating on Christ above all other things. The Greek term literally means looking away, looking away to Jesus. We are to look away from all the distractions around us in order to look at Jesus. He must be the prime preoccupation of our hearts and minds. This is the way to keep our energy and our endurance. So notice what is said here in verse 3. Consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Considering him is the means to not losing heart. That's the promise. In other words, if we consider him, if we think about him, then we will find strength to finish this race well. Looking and powers running. It is motivating and strengthening for us to think of Jesus as the runner par excellence. Christ himself had begun and finished the race of faith that we are now in. So that, that is why he is called the author and perfecter of faith, or the captain and perfecter of faith, which is to say that during his time on earth, he lived a perfect life from beginning to end, from his first cry in Bethlehem to his last breath at Calvary. He stayed true to the course. He never gave in to single temptation. He perfectly trusted and obeyed God in all things, and he patiently suffered the persecution of men. We see that Christ, it says here, endured such hostility by sinners against himself. And he did this even to death. He endured the cross. And that is such a great contrast, isn't it, with most of our lives. In verse 4, the writer says to the Hebrew Christians, in, You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. But that is precisely what Jesus did. He resisted to the point of shedding blood. We are not only told what Jesus did, however, but we are also shown what his mentality was all throughout his sufferings. It says that Jesus, for the joy, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. As Christ ran his race, by far the most difficult, painful, excruciating course that anyone has ever run. His sights were set on the joy that lay before him. He was so focused on this joy, the joy of lovingly redeeming for himself a people from a fallen world and thus bringing glory to the Godhead. He was so focused on this joy that nothing could persuade him to give up. It says in John 13, verse 1, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Because of this joy, he despised the shame, it tells us. He considered the shaming, the insults, the betrayals, the spitting in his face, in a sense, as insignificant as small things to be dismissed. 
These things could not distract him from his goal. Experiences that anyone else would have found unbearable, he considered to be bearable because he aimed at this joy. And now he has attained it. On the cross, he announced his victory when he declared the words, It is finished. Then he arose from the dead, triumphing over death itself, and ascended up to the Father, seated now at the right hand of the throne of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, ruler over all creation. We must consider him and the way that he ran his course so that we may not grow weary and lose heart. Now, someone might say to this, Surely I cannot run the race the way that Jesus did. He is God, and I am only human. Now, in a sense, that is true. We cannot expect to reach perfection in this life as Jesus did, since we still have sin remaining in us. But it is still possible, brothers and sisters, to run well to make progress, to be Christ-like in focusing on the eternal joy that lays before us. It is possible. It is possible. There are two things to point out here. First, we must not forget that everything that Jesus did after his incarnation, he did fully as a man. We might be inclined to think that things were easy for him somehow because of his divinity, but that was not the case at all. It was not as if when the going got tough, he put aside his human weaknesses and faced the challenge merely as deity. No, he was tempted in every respect as we are. He was and is human. This means that a human being a human being lived a perfect, sinless life, having resisted every temptation to the very end. A human being, having completed the race, now sits at the right hand of the throne of God, reigning over the universe. That should encourage us. It tells us that there is always a way of escape, even for us. That's the first thing to remember. Second, we must recognize that the way we are strengthened by looking to Christ is not the same as how we are inspired by looking at great athletes. It's not the same. It's not merely a matter of inspiration or even imitation. It's no less than that, but it is very certainly much more than that. To think of Christ is to use a means of grace. When we consider him as he is presented to us in scripture, not as we imagine him to be, when we look to him, his life and power and energy is actually infused into us by the work of the Holy Spirit. We know, as the Westminster Confession says, that the Spirit, Spirit works with and by the Word of God. The Word of God, when read and preached 
and meditated upon as a means through which the Holy Spirit feeds and strengthens our souls. Well, Jesus is the Word of God. And when we hold Him forth to our own minds, a supernatural spiritual strengthening takes place. So we do not look to Christ the same way that we look to a poster of, say, LeBron James for motivation. No, when you behold Christ, you are being transformed by the Holy Spirit into His image from one degree of glory to another so that you partake of the very strength by which He ran His race. So what does all of this mean for how we should live? So we'll consider three applications. First, people of God, we must expect to suffer. We must expect to suffer. If the Christian life is a race, an agona, an agony, then we must expect it to be hard. We must wake up each morning and expect difficulties. Now this does not mean that we are supposed to be sour and, and miserable and depressed all the time. On the contrary, this is precisely what permits us to live our lives out with joy. If you expect suffering, then you are better equipped to face it cheerfully. But if it always comes as a surprise to you, if it's always something that strikes you as abnormal, then you are easily stumped by it. It will cause you to make excuses for your own sins and bitterness and jealousies. You will compare your situation to others, saying, why do they seem to have it better, better off than I do? Not realizing, as the writer to the Hebrews goes on to say later in this chapter, after our sermon text, that this is all part of God's fatherly chastening and discipline, which marks you out as sons and daughters of the living God. If the Son of God suffered, who are we to think that we should avoid suffering? A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. Jesus said. So the Apostle Peter says in his first letter, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though something, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Christian, you must expect to suffer. Even if it means, as it says in verse 4, resisting to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Second, we must lay aside unnecessary weights. We must lay aside unnecessary weights. So much of our distress and exhaustion in the Christian life, to be frank, is self-inflicted. We would laugh if we ever saw a marathon runner 
with a huge backpack pulling along uh, a cart filled with his possessions. We would say, that's ridiculous. But spiritually, isn't that what we often do? We wear ourselves down in this race of faith with all sorts of things that are detrimental to our spiritual growth and focus. Now, I don't know what particular things each of you may have to lay aside in your own lives. I trust that you do. But if you have found yourself unable to run this race with zeal, it likely means that there are certain things in your life which you think of as non-negotiables that are actually unnecessary, if not even sinful. So consider the radical mindset of Christ as he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So this is the mindset that we ought to have as well. Make yourself free, lightweight, swift for the running of this race. Lay aside unnecessary weights. Finally, our third application, we must make it a habit to remember Christ when we suffer. We must make it a habit to remember Christ when we suffer. This is the point at which I myself have felt most convicted by this passage. As I was um, preparing to preach this sermon, one thing that I was realizing about myself is that I don't really tend to think about Christ in my own sufferings. I tried to encourage myself in other ways, but this, this is really key, I believe. Because when I forget that the trials of my life are in many ways patterned after the trials of my Savior and Master, whom I follow, when I forget that, it's very easy to lose heart. So if you're like me, brothers and sisters, let's resolve together today to develop a new habit. When we feel overwhelmed, when we feel distressed, when the whole world seems to be against us, let us remind ourselves to think of Christ and His sufferings, which were far worse than ours. Let us see Him weary in His ministry. Let us see him rejected by his friends and family. Let us see him weeping at Lazarus' Lazarus's tomb and weeping over Jerusalem. Let us see him sweating great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let us see him on the cross bearing the sins of the elect. And there, I trust, when we suffer, we will find much patience, much strength, to endure our trials and to complete our race here below. Amen. Let's pray.
Dear God, we thank you for your word. So incisive, so challenging. Cutting to the, the innermost part of our being. Dividing the, the spirit from the soul, the bone from the marrow. Lord, help us to humble ourselves under your blade. You know that we resist you because that is, that is our nature. But Lord, do a great work, we ask, and help us to, to honor you. Help us to glorify you in this race. Help us to remember that it is a race, a contest. Help us to do it energetically. Oh Lord, the athletes of this world, they, they, they run, they strive for, for perishable rewards. But we, we strive for imperishable rewards. Lord, help us to keep that in mind. And like Christ, who for the joy before him endured the cross, Lord, help us to bear our cross, for he is worthy. Christ is worthy of this. These things we ask in his name. Amen. And now we will sing our final hymn. Day by day and with each passing moment, hymn 255 from the Red Book.
God sends you with this blessing. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.